morning, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Riddles in the Dark. We're sorry for the skipping last week, but uh, we promise we'll make it up to you with highly fascinating topics today. We're talking fringe characters, basically all the random side uh, characters that are have about two pages worth of text in the book, and we'll probably get even less screen time. We're going to spend the entire day talking about them today. Um, so let's get right to it. I am your co-host Dave Kale, and with me, as always, are the Tolkien professor Corey Olson and Trish Lambert. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Yes, welcome Good to morning. Riddles in the Dark, where the where the where the fringe and downtrodden characters get their fair time. You know, that's what I'm saying. Though, of course, some of the characters we're talking about today probably <laughs> will get a fair bit of screen time, though uh, they get anywhere from zero to a small amount of book time. Um, but uh, our focus uh, for the fringe characters today, there are a couple sort of different sets of fringe characters. And by the way, by fringe characters, we don't necessarily mean characters who are themselves minor or unimportant. Um, as, for instance, we would consider Galadriel one of the fringe characters uh, of, of the films, uh, because her role in these films is unlikely to be enough to warrant our doing an entire episode just talking about her. But obviously, she's not a, a, a an unimportant character. Um, and then, by contrast, we have other characters who are clearly both very significant in themselves uh, and and probably are going to get a large share of screen time, such as the thrush, for instance, um, <laughs> which is clearly an instance uh, of an enormously uh, powerful and important figure. Um, <laughs> But uh, let's talk about the thrush, actually, because I think the thrush is a really interesting question. Um, the thrush, of course, plays a role which does seem to kind of grow over the course of the book. Um, the thrush is m- mentioned first, of course, in the in the writing, in the runes, the, the moon letters on the map. Uh, the thrush is a part of that, um, you know, sort of prophecy that gets included in uh, in you know in those in those runes and again I've you know I've made this point in my book if you read the the moon letters it's it's not exactly like a treasure map it's more like a prophecy this will happen at this time and at that time at that time the door you know will open can be opened um, and the thrush is the significant fulfillment of it if you look at and I'll be fascinated to see if they do anything like this in the Peter Jackson film if you watch the Rankin Bass uh, animated. Hobbit version, which I hope you, for your own health, don't do too many times. But if you do watch it, what you will notice in the door opening sequence is that they have inserted a uh, visually inserted a like Stonehenge esque stone, so that the gray stone in question is like a stone which has a little hole in it, which on Durin's day, the last rays of the sh- sun shine through this hole and hit the keyhole. So in other words, they, they remove, by doing this, they remove any sense of like superna- of sort of destiny or supernatural fulfillment of prophecy out of that scene, um, which is very much present in the book, you know, with the way that that little finger of sunlight uh, breaks through the clouds and points directly at the... Um, at the, the the keyhole, it's it's de- de- depicted as really quite miraculous in the mm. book. Um, in the film, again, they remove that element and they have it be essentially an element of dwarven engineering, so that on that one day the sun is in exactly the right place, so that the sun shines through the hole and at the keyhole at sunset. Um, this, therefore, changes the thrush's role entirely. So I'll be very interested to see 
how they play that. Now, my, 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 my sense is that what I was, one of the things that I was most fascinated by um, when I was uh, watching Peter Jackson's first Hobbit film, so uh, 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 at first, was that Peter Jackson seems to be, if anything, increasing the supernatural element um, with the way right from the unexpected party onward. We get that stuff about omens and, uh, and it's, it's Owen in particular, um, you know, Mr. Mr. Ear Trumpet, right? Who, uh, uh, who is talking about the, you know, the, the omens and, and the birds are gathering again at the mountain and, and you know, like the time looks, looks propitious for the return and all that kind of thing. So it, it, it's given an air of, of destiny and the supernatural from the beginning. So I'll be a little bit surprised if he goes in the, it's just a matter of dwarven engineering um, direction in the uh, in the um, in the finding of the keyhole, but again, it has a radical effect on the role of the thrush, depending on how you do that. Because if it's if if he is simply coincidentally like the dwarves knew that thrushes lived on that side of the mountain, and they know that snails live there, and that thrushes uh, go after snails, so therefore it's like a reasonable guess on their part that there will be a thrush knocking around that place where you're supposed to go and where it will open at that particular time, due to purely you know uh, dwarven craftsmanship. Um, but in the book, it's clear that the thrush is of an ancient and magical species. The word magical is used to describe that species of thrush. And, um, and so, it, it, and, and, and you also may remember the thrush plays a role apart from being the marker, that is apart from being the signal for the fulfillment of that prophecy by knocking at the stone in question. The thrush also stands by and watches, you know, it's sort of, it, 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 it's looking down and when the ray of sunlight strikes the wall, it starts to trill. Um, you know, it is like heralding the, uh, the coming of the thing. So the thrush is heavily involved with the fulfillment of this prophecy. It clearly is a magical species, which is in some way, never really explained, kind of in tune with what's going on and actually conceivably even even sort of contriving at, um, or at least cheerfully observing the fulfillment of this prophecy. Um, the thrush also appears to be hanging around deliberately in order to overhear what Bilbo has to say uh, about Smaug. He's he's uh, because you'll remember that Bilbo, seeing the thrush listening to him, uh, gets annoyed because he's in a bad mood anyway because he feels bad and feels like he revealed too much to Smaug, um, and so he is ill-tempered and actually picks up a rock and chucks it at the thrush, but the thrush doesn't fly away. You know, he 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 flies up and avoids the stone, but then immediately settles back down. That thrush is determined to hear what he can hear in order to understand what's going on. And, of course, we can see why as he comes to, uh, to, to take the message down uh, to Bard, because uh, he realizes he can do something. Now, of course, but that again, the thrush identifies the heir of Girion in the midst of the nocturnal combat uh, against the dragons. So apparently the thrush knows that Bard is of the line of Girion by some sense uh, and has uh, and, and can therefore fly straight to him, even in the middle of the chaos of battle, in order to land to perch upon his shoulder and deliver the message. So you know, when you think about what the thrush actually does um, in, uh, in, in the book, it's 
the thrush is a pretty significant character actually and queer seems to have agency you know as a character you know as 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 the other characters indeed more agency than some of the characters um like some of the minor dwarves for instance the thrush is quite a more full character than say nori in the book um but uh, so, so the question is then, what do we think Jackson is going to do with the thrush? Because this gets straight to the question, which we've talked about in the content. We did a whole episode on this for the first uh, film about the depiction of animals and talking animals. Um, so uh, where is he going to go with it? Are we going to get a talking thrush? We have some precedent. I mean, there are two things that seem to me most relevant, thinking back to the first film, two things which seem most obviously relevant, even perhaps to anticipate. Uh, that. So, well, one is, of course, when we actually saw the thrush at the end of the first film. Um, so the thrush is actually, has already made a cameo appearance at the end of the first film. How much, you know, what does the glimpse that we saw of the thrush um, lead us to think? You know, what kind of... Uh, what kind of evidence does that provide us for how the thrush, how we might expect the thrush to act in film two? And then um, we have that other, that other scene with Radagast. We do have, we've already had an instance of a bird coming and landing on somebody's shoulder and giving them a message, right? That happened with Radagast and a bird in Mirkwood in film one. When it did happen, the bird did not speak in audibly human language. It spoke in Radagast's ear, and Radagast was just able to understand it. Is that a precedent? Is that a setup for what we're going to see in Lake Town? Are we going to get just a bird sitting on Will Turner, excuse me, on Bard's shoulder and <laughs> say and and tweeting and uh, and uh, you know Bard saying, okay, right, yes, I understand what this bird is saying, and shall communicate it to the audience in some way. I mean, is, is that what's going to happen? So I, I did, because birds do that. Birds actually invented they that. Used, you know, I just would want to point they, that they out. Actually, there actually was another use to that verb prior to. Correct. The yes. yes. That is exactly. to believe. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. So, someday our kids will be like, we'll, we'll, we'll not even comprehend that. But anyway. Hashtag black arrow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, well, what we, do you guys we think? Kind of what, already know. Well, we kind of already know that I'm going to be. This is this might be a little snarky, just a little snark alert here. We already know that the thrush probably has some magical powers because he was able to make it from the Carrick to the Lonely Mountain in what three seconds? Oh well, you know. <laughs> come now. What that's are you, uh, what that's, are you talking about? That doesn't count as special powers. Everyone can do that. Everybody has that. You know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And and is he at the end actually is is the thrush smacking snails or is he smacking a rock on a rock? Is he actually doing, uh, I, that I was remember, a snail? I can't remember. Yeah, that was a snail. No. Okay. It's yeah. No, it's, it's he's definitely knocking a snail. Um, uh, yeah. No, I mean for a creature with wings to get from the carrick to the lonely mountain in minutes <laughs> is like nothing compared to those rabbits portaging the sled over the misty mountains in the matter the in a matter of a day or two. Hail. The moth being able to hail the eagles so quickly. Right, exactly. I mean, if moths can fly that fast, 
thrushes clearly. I get, no, no, no. No, no, absolutely. Well, I, I, yeah. no I also wonder if the thrush is going to do as, as it did in the Rankin Bass film and go down into the hall. Yes. Yeah, I was going to mention that. On the precedent of film thrushes, the Rankin Bass thrush is extremely active. <clears throat> and yes, it actually does accompany Bilbo down because, and this was actually, it's something worth thinking about because clearly the reason that they did this in the Rankin Bass film was for purposes of compression. Now, we've been talking about compression and how short of time Jackson is going to run and how you know how can he possibly squeeze all of the content from the Hobbit into three films as we've been discussing um, uh, how how could a mere nine to eleven hours of screen time possibly suffice for the telling of the Hobbit story but <laughs> Rankin Bass did it in like an hour and twenty minutes so I I when they went so and and clearly what they wanted to do is not have to repeat it they didn't want to depict bilbo going down having his conversation with smaug then coming back and reporting it to the dwarves and having the thrush overhear it so they sim- they they simplified that by actually having the the thrush come down into the into the uh, dragon's den and be flying around um and it was it was kind of cute in uh, in 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 one sense in that that moment when bilbo is all alone um, he's not alone because the thrush comes with him. So a big deal is made in the Rankin Bass film of Bilbo's choice to go on, uh, you know, alone down to face the dragon. Um, but the thrush in the in the Rankin Bass film plays a plays an additional role in a sense of being sort of like a comforter to Bilbo. Like you know, you, you screwed up yourself to go down there by yourself, and that's awesome. But hey, having done that, now you find you're not in fact alone. Um, you know, like the thrush has come with you. Um, and Bilbo actually seems to derive some sort of comfort and satisfaction from that in the film. Um, so, so yeah, so basically if, if we, we are, we're assuming, and as we've been sort of, at least I've been assuming from the beginning that we are indeed going to get the element of the thrush reporting to Bard, assuming that that in fact happens, um, then how is that how is jackson going to <clears throat> going to do that in the film are we going to get like in the like in the in the book of you know the the thrush waiting to overhear it um in which case we're we're going to have to get a scene of them talking it over with bilbo afterwards um and as Rankin Bass already saw that's kind of wasted screen time. The audience has already seen; they don't need to hear it to hear it again. And it's easy to do in the book, right? In the book, you can just spend one paragraph, as Tolkien does, saying, "And Bilbo told them everything that happened." Um, but Christ. you can't you can't do that in a film. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, now I I, I guess though, let, let me back up to the prim, to the preliminary assumption that I'm making. Do you guys think that we're gonna get? the thrush talking to bard uh uh element do you think there's any chance that that's just going to be taken out that it's that seems too important um it, what i wonder is whether it might be turned into a uh, uh gandalf talking to the moth uh type scene where we all we do, all we see is a glimpse of the thrush landing on his shoulder um uh in, you know maybe like some kind of ethereal eerie whispering noise or something but it but that it's like basically just like a five second thing in the course of an action scene like you know bards in the middle of 
flames and arrows flying and commanding people, and then we see a thresh land on his shoulder, and then and then all of a sudden Bard starts doing something, and we you know we're basically meant to infer that the thresh gave him some instructions. I don't know, but it it, right. it seems like too critical. But otherwise, how does he know where to shoot the dragon? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, unless you just make it, you could omit that element and simply make it chance basically to to That's increase true. the you know the 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 sense of fate or destiny uh in the slaying of smaug um it could theoretically be something be information that the audience is privy to so that they understand how it happens mm-hmm. but that bard himself never knows that he just is standing there bravely taking his last shot with the last of his 50 black arrows or whatever and uh he is um and i'm i'm referring to the the rumors of bard having black multiple arrows black arrows and left and right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh that his Personally, part of the film has, has inherited an entire quiver of black arrows, you, you which you've got to admit is more do you useful. Think he'll, do you uh, think for each for each black arrow he'll speak to it? Like, you know, all right, <laughs> black arrow number 47. <laughs> A separate pep talk for each black arrow, yeah. Okay, I've got something completely out of left field here. Okay, here's, okay. here's one. Here's That's an like idea. Our favorite. First of all, we... we I know, really. We already have the setup, like you said, Corey, of having the birds talking to Radagast, right? We yeah. also, of course, have Azog back from the dead, right? So Jackson is just playing fast and loose in so many ways. We have, we already know that Tauriel and, and Legolas end up in Lake Town. So how about if Radagast is in Lake Town? The bird comes and tells Radagast, and Radagast acts as the translator and tells <laughs> Oh, Oh, man. Well, you know, when you have a bunny sled, there's really no limitations yeah. to how fast you can travel. And, 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 uh, and yeah, so there's really no reason to think that Radagast couldn't pop up anywhere at any time. Goldur. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. and he may be, you know, he may be, I mean... Uh, you know, Gandalf may be riding, you know, behind him on the bunny sled to get to uh, Esgaroth after the Dalgoldur thing. So, yeah, you know. Nothing could be more likely. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm gonna say, if that happens in the movie, oh my gosh. All oh. I'm going to say is I'm annoyed because I don't understand why they couldn't just have Radagast take the ring into Mordor and destroy it if he was that fast. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's true. That's actually like a roundabout argument for Radagast's death, right? You know, that obviously somebody with that ability to cover terrain say, can't yeah. still be around. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Though that suggests all his rabbits have to die also. But anyway, let's not fantasize about that. Um, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's, but anyway, one other piece of information about I, 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 I want to come back to the point that I've mentioned because it struck me at the time as a really significant one about the fact that the birds gathering to the mountain is explicitly mentioned as the omen. And I think, you know, not only does that establish that sense of other ah, omens and portents, in other words, this is not just a, just a question of like, hey, we randomly now decide we want to do this. There's some kind of actual supernatural force at work. Um, but the fact that the birds are used as the instrument of that uh, suggests that they're going to have a sense of 
the significance of, you know so if they go and they see the thrush it's going to be i mean you, you know owen is going to be real excited about this because he That's was the one who was talking about you know that you know the, the importance of the fact that the birds are there um so so that certainly that's to me the the strongest positive evidence from film one um, that we're going to get that that plus the bird whispering in Radagast's ear those two things seem to be most most pointedly to anticipate uh, the thrush it doesn't prove that it's going to happen <clears throat> but but it certainly seems to uh, to to especially since we know the book and we know it does happen it certainly seems to build our expectations in a way which would be almost uh, uh, mean if he doesn't really do it. Um, but coming back Sean, to that, Sean Tuxell actually suggests that perhaps the thrush is a visual indicator rather than actually speaking. Thrush buzzes by Bart's head and flies towards Smout's weak spot in his chest, um, and Bart sees the spot because he's following the thrush's flight. I mean, the thrush's flight. That maybe, maybe the thrush is plausible as anything else. Maybe the thrush is going to sa- self-sacrifice. He's going to fly, land on Smaug, and then the arrow is going to go pass <laughs> through him. Thrush. <laughs> right, right. Shoot me and through me the dragon's weak spot. Yeah. Oh wow. Gosh, that would be so noble and so weird looking. Yeah. I mean. Like, could you just imagine the sort of the bizarre visual anticlimax of, you know, the destruction of Smaug being anticipated by a little puff of feathers first? You know, like, the, <laughs> I mean, that would just be so bizarre. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really see that as noble as the self-sacrifice would be, you know, if like the thrush could be carrying with it a stick of dynamite or something then you know maybe but um uh but anyway no no i i don't think so but it does lead lead me to another question which is could the thrush be actively recruited imagine this scenario somebody maybe bilbo himself maybe owen or balin or one of the other dwarves or something actually it's like so Bilbo's had his conversation with Smaug. They have discovered this. Uh, Bilbo, like, see, like the dragon is attacking. You know, like the dragon is coming around the side of the mountain. It looks like he's going to destroy them all. The thrush is there. Bilbo goes to the thrush and says, you know, like, okay, they say you're like a magical bird. Like, go tell Bar. You know, like, you know that, that he actually give that they actually give a message to the thrush, hoping that he will take it to Lake Town. The dragon is coming and might kill all of us, but go to, you know, go tell Bard to, like, you know, shoot him in the hollow of the left breast. Um, could you see this thrush actually being made actively a messenger? Hmm. Sure. Yes, and then I have a picture of the thrush doing charades at the end. Three words. <laughs> right. First syllable. <laughs> right. right. Now, for this, there would have to be some build-up. Yeah, no, I, I actually think that is... Yeah, I mean, I could see that happening. Yeah, I, I could, especially if a big deal is made of the fact that you know these are significant and magical birds. Um, and as I said, I mean, given the the thing about the birds gathering, I've got to think that that um, you know the dwarves are going to find it really. You know, when they come and see a thrush, they're not going to just ignore the thrush. That's what happens in the book, right? You know, in the book, the thrush is there the whole time, and it's only when he starts knocking this the 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 snail on the stone on Durin's day that that um, Bilbo sort of you know suddenly 
uh, cottons onto what's happening. Um, but clearly, given the significance that birds in the birds on the mountain have been given here in film one, as soon as they see a thrush on the mountainside, clearly they're going to be excited and see this as at the least a portent, if not actually, you know, a, some a potential ally who could assist them. Well, you know, that brings in our next bird, which is, I'm assuming we will meet Roach. Oh, I can't imagine Roach is not going to feature. You know, we're thinking he's going to talk. Right. Yeah. Well, now, see, here, here's he the other... Is, maybe he says, my buddy you, over, me and my buddy over here are magic birds, you know. Why can you right. not imagine that? I, I can easily imagine them leaving out the magical talking bird out of a movie that has no talking animals so far. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, first of all, they're not leaving out the ravens. That, you know, like... Take that one to the bank. The Ravens will appear in the film. Like I, 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 I don't know why I feel sublimely confident about the presence of the Ravens in the film, but I absolutely do. Um, I, I, it's like the Ravens. That is so going to happen. Now I'm not guaranteeing that they'll talk, but I actually think it likely. The primary reason that I think it's likely that the Raven will actually speak is that Ravens actually can speak. Like it doesn't have to be magical. Oh, that's Ravens true. like parrots can learn to talk and do learn to talk. Um, this is why it happens in Game of Thrones also. Right. Good point. It could um, be a third-age hologram kind of analog, right? <laughs> like somebody taught, taught him what to say, and then he just plays it back, right? Like a hologram. Like, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my <laughs> No, 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 no. Um, but I could see, I could see basically this old raven has, you know, I, I, I could, you know, I, I would not be surprised to find them not just engaging in conversation with the raven as they do in the book. Um, you know, I, 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 I will be a little bit surprised if the raven shows up and says, you know, hail Thorin, Thran, son, Oakenshield. You know, I mean, he's probably not going to do that. Do you expect him um, to show up and just start shouting, corn? Corn. <laughs> exactly. Something like that. Or, uh, you know, that like, using single words like a raven can in fact use, though I still think that it's quite possible that that could still be done for communication, uh, 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 for for communication purposes. Now, several people, uh, Molly and Daniel, have both reminded us <clears throat> about how Owen mistook the thrush for a raven at the end of film one. What, what is that? Did that? I don't remember that. Yeah. <clears throat> when yeah, when it flies he by the carrot. Raven. When the bird flies by and he says it's a raven. Right. And Gandalf says, no, it's a thrush. Yeah, no, Owen is clearly the most decrepit of all of the dwarves, <clears throat> being deaf and apparently not, not too keen of sight either. Um, but um, yeah. So Daniel, yeah, that Daniel led Daniel Helen to have. Owen thrush. If he thought thrush was a raven, what does he think the raven's going to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll probably is that a pterodactyl? Right. He's, he's going to mistake it for an eagle, clearly. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, uh, he's he's. I can see the ravens, the ravens speaking to them, having a significant conversation. Though I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in single words or small phrases, um, to make it sound more like uh, more like a real world talking bird. Um, but remember that scene 
uh, in The Hobbit where the thrush tries to communicate with them and none of them can understand it, so it goes and fetches the raven interpreter, right? right. Because it can talk to the raven and the raven can speak the, to the dwarves. That's right. um, so, you know, I mean, we, we actually have, <clears throat> um, the, I mean, sort of not only evidence of, of the thrush's intelligence in the book, um, but, um, but we get that whole idea of the ravens as, uh, as a sort of, uh, you know, linguistic go-between. Uh, between the dwarves uh, and the other birds and creatures, um, but Trish, maybe Radagast will show up to do that too. You know, we can—he's—he's he's just everywhere. You know, so, uh, you know. And I, my know. brain just went down the Narnia road, and I'm seeing the raven in a waistcoat and a, you know. With right. Dwarves. Exactly. Well, that of course has been the issue from the beginning, I to, right? I mean, that's I, have when to shape, I had to get that out of my head. Well, exactly. That's that's exactly why from the beginning, Dave that's and I were both. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, exactly. I mean, Dave and I were both uncertain about the talking animals for exactly that reason. Is it going to look too Chronicles of Narnia? Um, and I think it would look very Chronicles of Narnia. It's going to be hard to avoid those associations um, for for a lot of people, especially since the Narnia films. So, uh, um, yeah. but the thing I'm struggling with with Roak. I mean, I definitely get your idea in terms of you know the fact that you know ravens and crows can talk and they can be taught words and whatnot. But I'm trying to figure out if if we went with that, then what would be the word or words? King, king. You know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> right. Like, I don't. What would be, what would be the word or words that Roak is saying that would actually convey something to the company? King is a good one. Um, I. <sighs> The primary role of the ravens, the ravens accomplish two things in the book. They uh, help uh, Thorin, you know, they tell Thorin what's going on. They serve as his, his uh, you know, his scouts and intelligence service as he's, when he's there in the mountains. So he, they are the ones that keep him apprised of what is going on with the advancing armies. And the other is that they are used as messengers back and forth between Thorin and Dayan. Um the latter function is very easy. You know, there you just, you know, you go full bore Game of Thrones and attach letters to their legs. That's trivial. So if you don't want them to be able to uh, to verbally convey full messages, you can easily have them conveying letters back and forth. Um, but uh, it's going to be a little hard for them to act as effective scouts if they can't communicate. Um, so... I, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, no, they can't just yeah. use words they've been taught for that. You know, they actually have to do contextual, like, right. information transmission. Right, right, yeah. Maybe Jackson may just a lot, a glide right over that and not really have any kind of scouts and not explain how Thorne is finding out what's going on. I don't know. Maybe the Arca Stone turns into some kind of Palantir type of stone. <laughs> oh, God, now I'm really... Too much coffee this morning. <laughs> no, no, no. That is. <clears throat> will disregard the last statement. <laughs> oh well, I mean, considering what has already been done with the Arkenstone, that hardly seems more extreme. But it's a little hard to see him going that Not way afraid. and the other way that he's also no. going with it. So, um, that's true. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you know he doesn't actually have to learn anything. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't need news. They need to hear that the dragon is dead, but that could be 
communicated in single words. You know, he could be coming and saying, Dan, Dan, Dan. And they're like, who's dead? What are you talking about? Dragon, dragon. You know, like, so yeah, no problem. Like that could totally be communicated in single word phrases. Um, uh, absolutely. This is, this is, this Someone's is, in fact, your Sauron voice. The more I think about this, the more awesome this sounds. So I like this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Sharon points out that the Ravens are a link to the past. Yeah, exactly, which is why Roach is like this statesman who, in fact, is clearly would make a far better king than Thorin, uh, you know, in that he is showing more wisdom, discretion, uh, you know, generosity towards others. Um, uh, Thorin would have done a great deal better to just do whatever the Raven told him to do, um, uh, he, he serves as a, quite an excellent counselor to Thorin and, and is therefore ignored. But, um, but so, yeah, I, I certainly don't see Roach playing that role in the film. Um, and he also fills in a lot of the history for both the reader and for Thorin, too. I mean, it would be nice if he filled that role, but I, do, I, don't, I don't see that happening in the movie. Yeah, it's it, it will be interesting because that's one of the things going back to the, you know, the birds are gathering again to the Lonely Mountain thing um, is something that makes me wonder <clears throat> the ravens could conceivably, the, the, the link to the ancient days of Erebor is something that might actually disappear in the film. There's no, um, if the ravens showing up are like the thrushes showing up, just the sign that Smaug is going to die. That doesn't necessarily mean that Roach, when he appears, as I am sublimely confident he will, um, that Roach, when he appears, needn't be, you know, an ancient denizen of that area. Rather, he could just be one of these birds that's come into the area um, and... You know, so so yeah, so he 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 doesn't have to have that kind of historical link at all. I hope he's you know, bald. Sean, Sean, I hope he's bald. Sean brings up a great. He's bald in the book. Point. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He um, is. T- uh, t- uh, Sean brings up an, an interesting tangential point. I think this is one that I'm going to s- uh, set up with Laura to do when we do the digest uh, episode on Smaug, which is that Aragon. You know, the the movie Aragon Dragon actually speaks mentally. I know we're not talking about Smog at the moment, but I mean, he makes the point of saying that the dragons, you know, the dragon doesn't move his mouth. He actually speaks mentally and he's wondering if maybe they'll do the same thing with Smog. So I think I'm going to log that. Thanks, Sean. I'm going to log that for, to to talk over with Laura when we do the Smog uh, digest. Yeah. Because I think a thrush with the power of telepathic communication is much more readily believable yeah. than a thrush who can speak human language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were. Ta- I was talking about the dragon. I know thrush. you were, but I'm thinking. I'm. I'm I, I know. I, I'm. I, I'm applying it to the thrush question. Yeah. Now I'm. Now I'm imagining. They're having trouble. They're having trouble getting us to buy the the talking thrush. So they're like, nah, let's we'll just make him telepathic instead. Yeah. yeah telepathy. Problem solved. Yeah. Absolutely. And I wonder. And how would that? How would that come across? I mean, would it? Would he be speaking in full sentences? I mean, would like Bilbo or somebody or or. Bard be getting it in full sentences, or would we be getting like a really high pitched, squeaky, you know, in in just like keyword type thing? That that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, we get we get a full, you know, full prose uh, quotation from the thrush in the book. So, you know, Tolkien does make that shift. Um, 
And and by the way, remember that that's a translation. The thrush is not speaking in human language. It doesn't know human language, or else it'd just be able to talk to Bilbo and, and the dwarves also. Um, it only speaks in thrush language, but Bard understands him. So we're being told what in thrush language the thrush is saying, and it is translated for the benefit of the readers uh, into human language. So that's something that's particularly difficult to do. As I recall in the Rankin Bass film, we do get the thrush's voice, don't we? Don't we get the you know, look in the hollow of the left bread. I mean, don't we get don't don't we actually get that? I don't that? think so. I think no, Bart doesn't. No, you're right, we don't. I don't think so. I think the Yeah, we, we get the tweet tweet tweets and Bard goes, say what? Yeah. Right. Did you just tell me to look in the hollow of the left breast? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I should look where? The hollow of the left breast, you say? And then, of course, I, I do recall the, uh, you know, the animated close-up of the hollow of the left breast as we as viewers are sort of following Bard's gaze. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I, I do want to um, pull you away slightly. I, know it could be a, I mean, we originally had talked about doing the Master of Lake Down first, and being the rebel that you are, Corey, you just immediately just, went to the Thrush. I just went to the Thrush. We have a little bit of time to talk about the Master of Lake Down. Sure, yeah, let's talk about the Master of Lake Down. Yeah. Well, the Thrush you're just, is... You're just, I, th- that's what makes... You're just, a, you're just show, a rebel. Right? Like, if this was any other podcast, they would have... Absolutely. No, I'm not complaining. I'm just yeah. simply pointing <laughs> out. If this, was any other, <laughs> if this was any other group of people, they would have gone right on to Toriel and spent the whole episode on it. Us, yeah. of course, we yeah, spent exactly. the whole time That's right. on the thrush no, we're and the raven. Well, the thrush and the raven are the obviously <laughs> important characters. I yeah. mean, you know... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um... But anyway, yeah, so now let's talk about the Master of Lake Down. He's, yeah. He's kind of, he's a fringe character kind of even a little bit in the book, sort of. I mean, he's... Yes, definitely. Obviously, the first thing to note about him is that, on the one hand, uh, he's being played by a relatively famous actor, so it's really hard to imagine him having five seconds of screen time. Like it seems like they wouldn't go out their way to get Stephen Fry to play him if they weren't going to use him. Although, granted, Stephen Fry was in the second Sherlock Holmes film, and he was, you know, like, he had, a, he had some screen time, but it wasn't, it wasn't substantial. Uh, right. On the other hand, I feel like, I feel like if I recall correctly from statements by Stephen Fry about sort of the timeline of his shooting, that it wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot certainly wasn't as much as, say, the Bard actors shooting time, so... Right, right. Yeah, I know that sounds right. Well... Thinking back to the book for a second, the Master of Lake Town essentially comes in at three points. First, of course, is when they arrive, and the Master of Lake Town is is a skeptical voice overwhelmed by the enormous enthusiasm with which Thorin is received by the people of Lake Town. So you have a division between the people of Lake Town and the Master, and the Master is the one who remains skeptical. So it's kind of interesting because the Master of Lake Town basically joins... There are three people who do not lose their heads and get swept away in the idea of the return of the king under the mountain. One is the Master of Lake Town, another is Bard, the grim-voiced man who does not see the light in the distance on the mountain and say, oh, the king of the mountain is forging gold. No, he's like, actually, it's probably the dragon and he's probably coming to kill us. So Bard is resistant. He does not just get caught up in the enthusiasm about the return of the king. 
And Bilbo is the other one who remains aloof from that <clears throat> and focuses on the, uh, the yet unslain dragon uh, and does not get too carried away with excitement about the, the return. So um, the master is, uh, he plays along with things. The clear thing that we get from him in that first sequence is that he is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a political manipulator. He, 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 he knows how to, um, how to, to see to his best interest and to be flexible based on that. He, he, he is not motivated by principle, um, but by his own self-interest, um, then when we see the master again, the second instance of the master of Lake Town is immediately after the destruction of the town, and the people are all blaming him because he bailed out and abandoned the town very quickly um, and was a very bad leader or a non-existent leader in the time of crisis. And they're asking for Bard and demanding that and, and, and wanting to make Bard king, especially when he dramatically emerges from the lake right at the moment that they're shouting for him and lamenting that he was killed. Um, the master then shows uh, even further his ability to manipulate uh, and manage a situation. And in fact, we see here, as we don't see elsewhere, um, his ability to sway people. The fact that he is both charismatic and manipulative in his ability to, to, turn, to twist the crowd around, uh, to incite them to blame Thorin instead of blaming him. Um, so... That's the second time. And the third time is simply the report that we hear in the, in the final chapter that he, the master of Lake Town, made off with a bunch of the money that Bard gave the town to rebuild and that he died somewhere miserable and alone in the waste um, uh, after making off with the money. So those are the three things, the three times that the master of Lake Town comes into the story in the book. Um, I am going to... I do believe, I, I sort of assume that the master of Lake Town in the films is going to be a manipulative politician. I mean, I, I'm expecting him to be not a really nice guy. Um, do you guys think they're going to shake things up a lot? Do, w would you expect that we might be made more sympathetic to the master of Lake Town, or are we going to see him as simply like a either a wicked tyrant or... Um, a totally unscrupulous politician. What do you think? Uh, I would guess, based on the Stephen Fry casting, that he's going to be turned into kind of a buffoon. He's going to be tremendously what? He's going to be like a. He's going to be turned into basically kind of a buffoon. A buffoon. Yeah. yeah that he. That he's going to be. Um, there we go. The freaking um, Mac OS X keeps adjusting my input volume down. It's like, no, oh, you're too loud. <laughs> Nobody really needs to be able. <laughs> That's basically what happens right there. Um, yeah. So I, I I would I would guess buffoon. Like I, I you know with Stephen Fry he I, I think that's more in his wheelhouse than say um, uh, dangerous tyrant or sympathetic character. Not not that Stephen Fry isn't a very nice person, but let's just face it. What, what does he usually play? Comedic characters. Yeah. Yeah, I love Harold's suggestion. Harold Johnson suggests that uh, we should we should be introduced to the master of Lake Town, uh, seeing him staring down at a scorched doll with a tear trailing down his <laughs> down his cheeks. Yeah, that would be awesome. Sure, um, that's, that's one possibility. 
<laughs> that's uh, um, that's that's likely. Now, Sharon brings up an interesting question, which I is only tangentially related to the Master of Lake Town, but it is a Lake Town question. Um, we've seen the Lego sets. The, you know, the, the the Lego sets have been released, and one is called Lake Town Chase. Now, to we always have a certain amount of uh, skepticism about how closely in touch uh, the Lego sets really are with what's going on in the films. Um, but nevertheless, that's an odd kind of title. Um, it certainly does suggest there's going to be some kind of chase scene involved in Lake Town. Um, and if so, who's being chased by whom where? Because um, I don't really know. Is it as Sharon suggests, possibly an indication that their arrival in Lake Town is going to be an action sequence. Um, I, 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 I um, don't know. Haven't we but... seen? Haven't we seen footage of Bard being chased by the authorities? I think we we sort of have previously speculated that, based on some of the footage we've seen, it looks like Bard's kind of this weird outlaw Robin Hood type character. Right, or, or you know, we'll get like Bard as Aladdin, you know, at the beginning yes. of of, yes. of the Aladdin movie. Yes. Right? Uh, maybe he can even do a musical number. That would be kind of awesome. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm actually looking at at the, at the Lake Town Chase thing, and it's interesting because you've got Thorin and Bard and Bilbo, the boat with a bear with a really huge barrel. You've got the Master of Lake Town, and I guess his valet. And then you've got one of the guards with the funny hats, um, and, and there's like two different. Um, I guess the master's at his house, and the guard is at another building, probably a, a, a guard house or something like that. So yeah, I don't know why they call it chase, because as far as I know, Bard picks them up in the barrels, brings them in, and then there's like this confrontation in the town square, right? But I don't know why they call it a chase. Yeah, I don't really know. Um... Well, it's because he's got to stay one jump ahead of the breadline. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> One swing ahead of the sword. Yeah. Um, but I, we, you know, we've seen we've seen all that footage of him. Like, literally, it's you know, we're we're joking about Aladdin, but the the footage we've seen it looks like that sort of stuff. He's like doing this parkour, you know, running across the city, jumping across uh, from, yeah. from yeah. Um, dock to dock and across rooftops. And it's not clear. I mean, some of the scenes we've seen have been of the city on fire, which which indicates maybe it's taking place during the uh, the smog attack. But then there've been other scenes where where it's not clear, and, it, and, it, and you know, it could possibly be sort of our our introduction to him is him being sort of constantly on the run, waging this underground um, rebellion again. Because I think we we sort right. of previously speculated kind of. maybe maybe this is a guy who is aware of his his heritage and in proactively doing something about it. But he's like you know as the Arab Garion, he's waging this constant um, underground rebellion against the master. Right, right. I've done I've done a close up of the master of Lake Town Lego character. I mean, other than the fact that he looks like he's got a radish growing out of his hat. Um, He's got a really nasty look on his face. I mean, he's got this, like, evil sort of snarl on his face, and he's oh, holding a sword in one hand and a key in the other hand. It's a key? Yeah, it's a key. Because this is the master here. It's a gold, you know, skeleton right? key. Yeah, here's the master. Are this you showing something? Bard, yeah, I'm showing it. 
Yeah, if you um, if you because the site I looked at actually lets you uh, click in on the individual characters, dolls. Here, okay. I'll tell you what. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have the link to that. But anyway, um, so we've got Bilbo here uh, with his. With, I, I I love the Lego ring, which looks like it could go around your neck. You know, because of course they can't. <laughs> Lego characters don't have fingers or the ability to hold small things. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we've got Bilbo with his sting and, and mega ring. We've got Thorin, presumably, over here. Um, this, I guess, is oh, Bard. Oh, I guess Bard is the one. That's Bard. Yeah, that, that's, that's Bard, Bard. yeah. Okay. And then here's our guard with his awesome hat, um, uh, concerning which we've already said many things. Um, so, yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, so I agree. if you go to the link I just put in the chat box, you can get a close-up of the of the Masters. Uh, well, you can get a close-up of all of them, but you can get a close-up of the Masters one, and it's it's like he's got, you know, we t- pertinent to the question we just asked, which is do we think he'll be more benign or whatever. I mean, the look on his face is pretty nasty. Oh, this is him here? Whoa. Yeah, if you scroll down on that page, see, do you see it? Yeah. Yeah, that says, like, <laughs> this, this, this looks like a Three Musketeers villain to me. Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> but don't you like that <laughs> like, radio? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and the key. But yeah, that's, okay, that's I, key. Again, so I wonder I get if that's the, to his safe or his treasury or something. I maybe. I, I mean, like, I get the thing that, like, yeah, again, like you can't have really small items in in Lego. So, like, like the ring has to be big <laughs> enough to fit around your thigh and and all that. Fine, but. Uh, I mean, that is one of the most bizarre Lego items. That huge yellow key. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, he's got revolving, I wonder if he's got a revolving head like the Bilbo one does. You oh know? yeah, that's that, that's like, like pretty much standard now in all of these sets. That, um, most, of the, most of the most of the characters have like the, the 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 two optional faces. I love that about Lego characters, by the way. It just seems um, it's uh, it's so. Uh, uh, deliciously metaphorical, but anyway, um, uh, yeah. So I'm sure he's got another face, but who knows? Like sometimes the villains have like a mean face and a really mean face, or like an angry face and a simply evil face. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, man, that's that's uh, and he's just called Lake Town Guy JPEG. How about that? They don't even they don't even say he's the master, though presumably he is. Oh, they didn't. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. But now I, I, I oh that's oh, I the guard. Yeah. Wow. This hat does not make me look like a doofus. Yeah. <laughs> okay, see it, it, No, I've gotten nasty grams from people saying that we we make too much fun of those hats, you know, that they're actually traditional, I guess, from northern Yeah, I mean they look like they do look like look like uh, I mean they look Russian. I mean, they they look uh, this, yeah, but but th- this looks like he's wearing the back half of a fish on his head. I'm sorry, like, I, I, I I cannot imagine <laughs> that, that like you know there is a historical Russian soldier who would not take offense to having that hat. But anyway, um, Thorin is like I have no neck. Wow, yeah. (laughs) 
he looks kind of like it's like and, it, and this, uh, Bilbo's all gussied up. He's this okay. Thorin Thorin kind of says to me here. This this is kind of saying NFL linebacker meets 1980s hairband is is what yeah. is what yeah what Thorin says to me here. Billy Billy Ray Cyrus. Yes, yes. Billy Ray yeah. Cyrus Billy Ray plays Cyrus for the Chicago months. Bears is basically what that looks like to me. Um, yeah. Bard is interesting. See where are we? Here we are. Man, he even looks like Will Turner in Lego for crying out loud. Wow! Oh my yeah. god, yes, isn't he? That's incredible. <laughs> Did they just recycle? Do they have Pirates of the Caribbean Lego like? sets and they just recycled them? You know, is that that would be efficient? Um, I'm sure huh. not. It looked like they did. Okay. Anyway, and okay. the Bilbo's all dressed up. Look how fancy schmancy Bilbo looks. Oh yeah, boy, he's got that. Look at that tie. And <laughs> and that. I mean, that looks like a bag end outfit, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Does he have not, not enough sleep or what? <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, like, I don't even know how to characterize that expression. I, I wonder what the other side of his head looks. Is he that's smiling his, in the back his, of his face? I just face? sat through. That's his. I just sat through the two towers lecture. <laughs> it took two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what Bilbo looks like. Like in, at at the end of the second hour of the uh, Riddles in the Dark episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh. Okay, so it looks like we're going to have a SWAT team show up uh, at Lake Town. So that, that this 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 really puts a new spin on things here, you know. Okay, yeah. Okay, oh, that's, my gosh. that's that's very illuminating. Is that like that's the uh, was it the A team? The A team shows up, right? Exactly. The right. Fool. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. It's a little bizarre. Um, Oh, we're way off, aren't we? Okay, it's all right. Fun with Lego characters. We can do this all day. Let us return. Let us return to considering the master of Lake Town. Um, uh, okay. Okay. Oh, Sharon was pointing out that the Lego Bilbo still had his buttons. So that's uh, yeah. And Brian was saying exactly the same thing that I was about about uh, Lego Bard looking like Will Turner. Anyway. Okay. All right. Let me remove temptation to continue looking at the Lego. Uh, <laughs> Scenes, but I wanted to go actually back to uh, something that Brian Biggs was saying just a little uh, a little while ago, um, that uh, about the names of the sets that you can't always judge by that. I was thinking of exactly the same one because the one the uh, the Bilbo and Gollum little mini set from the first film, the one Trish that you gave me at Mythmoot last year, that set is officially <laughs> called Riddles for the Ring. Which is at least very misleading. Uh, I mean, you can yeah. kind of see how they want to mention the ring because you do get the ring in that set. Um, so apparently, they want to, you know, they want to make that clear or something. But but that's obviously an awful name um, and has nothing to and and is as I say at the very least deeply misleading. Now, why they would even use, you could defend them by saying at least both elements mentioned in the title, Riddles and The Ring, are both involved in the scene. So therefore, uh, you know, would they use the word chase if nobody was ever chased at any point in Lake Town? Um, I don't know. But anyway. But you, should, but you should, certainly shouldn't interpret it to mean any particular kind of chase. <laughs> right. Exactly. It could, uh, could, it could be... It could literally be, be bards running after a small child. 
exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, the dog gets out at one point, and uh, yeah, no, exactly. It could be anything. Um, uh, so, okay. So here's my here's my two cents on the Master of Lake Town. Okay. okay. Back to the question that you asked. Well, I would just what we think. I get the Lake Town for me in the book is very sharp edged. You know, he's just he seems to me like a very I don't know, you know, even in the beginning, but especially like when he like abandons and goes away, he's just very sharp, very um, avaricious and that kind of thing. And I think um, from what I've seen so far of Stephen Fry, which is a little bit what was in the trailer, right? He's more like uh, soft. He's more soft centered. He's still very, very, very self centered, but he's not as like um, acidic, I suppose, would be the word you know what i mean it's like he's just he's a soft version is what i see so i mean i'm thinking we may still see that like he's he's totally self-centered but he's not as i don't know i don't know what the word i'm going for is that getting across he's not as sharp cynical? edged is that, is that what you're thinking i mean are you thinking about like cynical. you know him yeah cynical. yeah maybe i mean yeah. i um i would <laughs> even in the book keep in mind the master of lake town isn't a villain I mean, that is to say, he's not a villain in the in the sense of the Hobbit plot. He doesn't do anything against them. He's not opposed to them in any way. You know, he's just looking to maximize his own take out of things. So when it is in his best interest and, you know, when it serves his political ends to help them and support them, he does. When it serves his political ends to throw Thorin under the bus, he does. Um... But he doesn't right. actually do anything. Like he never actually does anything which causes harm to, uh, you know, which does. He, uh, you know, he, he doesn't work to thwart them. He's not their opponent when they're in town. Um, so he doesn't act as the villain in the sense of being in any way actively opposed to what the you know the heroes are up to. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen in the film, too. I don't think necessarily that he's going to become a villain. You know, he's going to be like, I will stop you, Thorin, if it's the last thing I do. I mean, I don't think we're going to get that kind of dynamic out of him. Or at least I don't think that there's any need to have that dynamic out of him. Um, it, it, it almost makes me... Um, to me, the bigger question, actually, um, or rather what I'm going to be more interested in seeing what I'm going to be watching for when I see the master of Lake down is not necessarily what role is he going to play in the story, but how is he going to interact with the themes of the story? What's going to be his thematic significance? Um, him as a voice of pragmatism, as a voice of resistance and the way that he corresponds to Bilbo's own resistance. I mean, again, there's a moment in the book where the master of Lake town and Bilbo are like the only sensible people present. Everybody else is losing sight of things. Bilbo and the Master of Lake Town, um, in a sense, are better grounded than Thorin, the rest of the dwarves, and the rest of the people of Lake Town, except for Bard, who hasn't shown up yet. Basically, he hasn't said anything yet. Um, so, um, now again, it's not to say that the Master of Lake Town is right, or that he's good, or that he, you know, Tolkien is holding him up as an admirable figure. I don't think any of those things are true. But... He is right to be resistant to the like the wild and crazy enthusiasm of dwarves and people alike in Lake Town is wrong. I mean that's dumb. And Bilbo is right is is the one who is, um, you know, sort of spot on in saying you know let's not uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Um, we've not actually 
done anything yet about the dragon. Um, the Master of Lake Town's reasons are very different. So the way in which he's resistant makes him parallel to Bilbo, but then, of course, he's sharply different from Bilbo, both in the fact that he has no loyalties or anything of any kind, but also the fact that his general skepticism turns out to be wrong. He's wrong about Thorin. He's, he, he disbelieves, he, he's resistant for the wrong reasons because he believes that prophecies aren't going to be fulfilled and that if this dwarf comes out of the wilderness and claims to be the long-lost king under the mountain, the likeliest explanation is that he is some vagabond who is a fraud who's on the make and sooner or later he's going to be exposed for the fraud that he undoubtedly is. Now, he's wrong. Thorin this random dwarf who's wandered out of the wilderness is in fact the king under the mountain return from exile. So his, the whole basis of his, of his resistance to the enthusiasm is an incorrect one, but it serves an important role in, I think, actually emphasizing the significant, like if, if, if there's any resistance on the reader's part, if the readers are thinking, ah, you know, there are these prophecies and the songs that, you know, are the songs really going to come true? Is this fairy tale, you know, you know, if you're feeling resistant to like the fairy tale return of the lost king, restoration of the kingdom kind of movement that's going on in The Hobbit at that point, then guess what? You find yourself sitting next to the, ma to the master of Lake Town. And that's an uncomfortable place to sit because it's the, the story shows that he is foolish in it with a different kind of foolishness um, in being resistant to those ideas. So I think it's a very clever way that Tolkien positions the master of Lake Town and positions us as readers as we respond to the master of Lake Town and to everybody else. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the way in which the master of Lake Town is wrong cues us uh, to, uh, to, to, to be to be open in a certain way to the rest of the fairy tale story of the Hobbit. Um, that's what really role is he going to play in the films? You know, I don't know. That, that's really interesting because that makes him sort of a thoroughly modern character, right? Like, that, that yeah. For for a lot of the people out there um, in our time who are reading that, who are reading this or watching it and thinking it's silly or dumb, or or um, who are wishing. Peter Jackson would make a more grounded, realistic telling of the story with more you know, nuanced characters, blah, blah, blah. Um, those are the people who will, their, their point of view is represented by the Master of Blake Town. So actually, yeah, so maybe he's, a, maybe he's sort of a more critical character to the, to the film than and at least I'm giving him credit for it. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, Harold just asked a really good question. He says, um, you know, the movie master could definitely be turned into a villain or a stumbling block. The king returning would be a big threat to this guy's little fiefdom. Maybe he resists their going to the mountain and hence the chase. Um, that's possible. But one thing that I would point out is that if that's the case, that's already a significant change from the book. The reason the master of Lake Town doesn't work against Thorin is that he disbelieves in Thorin. Um, not only does he not believe that... Uh, Thorin is who he says he is. Um, well, okay, no, because we we have two different things. Um, he doesn't he 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 doesn't think that Thorin exists. Does the master of Lake Town even believe in the dragon? That's not a given to me, actually. 
Because remember, we're told mm. that there are people in Lake Town who openly doubt mm. the existence of, of a dragon in the mountain. Um, and so it seems to me quite possible, it would seem very much in keeping, that the master of Lake Town would at least be skeptical about whether the dragon even really exists. Um, the Elven King, on the other hand, does believe in the dragon, but, um, uh, but he disbelieves in the possibility of Thorin actually going to the mountain and successfully killing the dragon. And the narrator affirms that by saying he has a great deal of sense in questioning whether or not that's really very likely. Um, but, uh, and it's in this context that the narrator says, but, you know, there's no saying what a dwarf will not dare or do uh, for gold and the recovery of his own. Um, so, I think that we could get the master of Lake Town as a sort of center of skepticism, you know, as a, um, a, a he, he could be that, that voice of, you know, really, there's nothing going on here. Um, uh, because if he is going to, as Harold is suggesting, if he is going to oppose them, if he is going to see Thorin as some kind of political threat, there would have to be, um, he would have to be invested in ways in which he isn't in the book, in the entire system. He, he, he would have to believe in Thorin. Now, keep in mind, the time frame seems to be much lesser in, uh, in, the, um, in the film. That is, it doesn't just seem to be. It almost certainly is lesser. Uh, that is, so, uh, uh, lifetimes of humans have passed since the dwarves were, since Smaug came to the Lonely Mountain in the book. Um, whereas, undoubtedly, the attack on Erebor and the destruction of Dale would still be in living memory of people in Lake Town in the films, right? I mean, given how much everybody else has aged, even assuming dwarves age more slowly, um, you know, Thorin hasn't yet gone gray since this happened. Um, so not totally gray, you know. Certainly, um, not believing in the dragon <laughs> seems, much, much, it seems much less grounded uh, here. Yes. Yes. You know, I wonder if the master of Lake Town, uh, this is a little shaky, but let me just go with it. It will be kind of a, not a, maybe a foreshadow or an example of the kind of avarice and greed that we're going to see in Thorn later when he gets gripped by the dragon sickness. Uh, now, I'm not saying that the master would have dragon sickness, but I'm just wondering if that theme or that... Um, aspect of a, of behavior will show up, and and that's kind of what the master's role will be in the movie. You know, that's a really interesting suggestion. I could see the master serving as that because it's one thing. You know, we 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 got the introduction to the to the stuff with the gold back in the beginning of film one with Thorin looking on and watching his grandfather become more and more enslaved to his love for gold. Right, we got that whole thing, and especially those of us who know the book were sort of seeing that as a kind of a, 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 a you know, a, sort of a dark and ironic foreshadowing. Um, if, you know, we're all suspecting that Thorne himself is going to fall prey to that as well, and so it makes it the more tragic that he is lamenting it in his grandfather at the beginning and all that, but we still need some transition into it, because he's shown no indications. So if the Master of Lake Town could indeed be used as a way for that dynamic of, you know, greed and what greed does to you and what it looks like to, uh, you know, subordinate your loyalty to other people to your desire for gold. Um, 
he can be that kind of negative example, which and we might even sets see Thorin. And we might even see Thorin criticizing that. We could even see Thorin reacting negatively to that behavior in the movie. Possibly. Monster, which would Possibly. make his, you know, his shift all the more pronounced later. Yeah. So that'd be interesting. So that's another angle he could. Because you're right. You know, I was thinking what the, because you're right. I mean, he, he can't just be there. I mean, he, there needs to be a thematic purpose to him being there. Um, another and, question. You know, another another thing I would suggest, and and this is something. This is obviously a film three question, but uh, in the book, the master disappears. You know, he he's there for the discussion when. Bard climbs out of the lake and you know they're all deciding what to do but once they decide to go up with the to go up to the mountain and once the elven king shows up and Bard is now leading the army the master doesn't only disappear he stays down by the lake um he is a complete non-player in the events at the end of the hobbit he does not come to the lonely mountain doesn't take part in the siege it's a little hard to i, I would imagine that he unless he dies in uh, Smaug's attack, which seems to me conceivable, actually. And so, uh, I, unless Smaug eats him, um, then we're likely to see him at the Lonely Mountain, right? I mean, it would be a little weird for him to stay home. Mm-hmm. But as yeah, I said, that's a film-free right. question, so that's mm-hmm. not. Well, yeah, not bother too so much now. But. he's got to be eliminated. <laughs> The the other thing that the sher- that the um, master could serve as sort of a sheriff of Nottingham role to Bard's rapid role, um, you know, the evil bureaucratic government, Bard, the rightful heir of Dale, blah blah blah. Kind of thing. Yeah, conceivably, Ooh. conceivably. Um, is suddenly there's a waterfall. Is that, is that David's? Is that David speaking? <laughs> No, I think that was the. I think it's the fan on my. Uh, oh, I see. Okay, yeah. I was, oh. <laughs> it sounded like suddenly the roaring river Anduin was coming back. We're, 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 we we have arrived at Sarngebir here in our in our discussion. Or the river running. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this reminds me, therefore, um, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, how about that tutorial? Yeah, it's time. It's time to move on. So, I, the last character we're going to talk about today um, is, you know, one of the minor elf characters that we haven't talked about nearly as much as we should, and which everybody is anticipating, and everybody else wants to talk about, and we should definitely come and talk about. It. And of course, I'm referring to Galleon the Butler. Um, Galleon the Butler is a very important character because. Uh, uh, <laughs> Galleon the Butler is the only elf in the entire Hobbit book who receives a name. So clearly, this is a major figure. Um, we need Galleon the Butler, who's going to. And by the way, I totally expect that to to be. I, I I will be shocked if we do not meet an elf named Galleon uh, in in the film. That's exactly the kind of of Easter. Just like we got Lindier in Rivendell, yeah. right? And Haldir. Um, well, Haldir, yeah, Haldir actually played a bigger part yeah. in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but, but Lindir, remember that, that like random elf that yeah. who greets them uh, in Rivendell is named Lindir, and if you don't remember, yeah. Lindir is the name of the, of the elf with whom Bilbo has that conversation in the Fellowship of the Ring about, you know, whether Bilbo, or, or, or like, w- what parts Bilbo and what parts Aragorn wrote in his Arendelle song. Oh, Lindir is like the elf's, you know, music critic that uh, that 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 Bilbo's talking right. to. He's the um, elf chauvinist. 
Right, exactly. Um, so, so, in other words, there's one random elf who gets a name uh, at Rivendell, and Jackson included it. Um, so I will be shocked if no if no elf is named Galleon, though <clears throat> I will be even more shocked if we actually get a drunken butler um, in the, the film. Showing, uh, maybe it's the elf that's showing uh, Legolas the path. Out yeah, of, uh, the pointing elf. I, 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 do hope, <laughs> I do hope the pointing elf is named Galleon. That will make me enormously happy, I have to say. Um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so no, we're definitely we're definitely gonna. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't actually have that much else to say about Galleon. So I guess we should talk about Toriel. Um, and uh, we've been somewhat loath to talk about Toriel because I think, to some degree or other, we all share, uh, or at least we uh, sympathize with the uh, general Tolkien purist revulsion for discussing Toriel. Though I've been defending Toriel from the beginning conceptually, and I uh, I, I still do in the sense that. Um, you know, if, I mean, I'll say again what I've said about Toriel already several times. <clears throat> the elves, the wood elves, are indeed underdeveloped in The Hobbit. Like they, they, we don't get. There's a reason we get no named elves because we don't meet any of them. The Elven King is the only char- Elven character of any significance, and he doesn't get a name. He's just called the Elven King. Um, so, <clears throat> if they, if if the films want, as is not surprising to really have us invest in the Wood Elves and care about them and to make them not, not faceless and nameless, um, then it does not surprise me at all that we're going we're gonna to be getting some new character introduced. That that character should be female is about as unsurprising as possible. In fact, wouldn't people be jumping up and down even more if they invented and brought in a brand new character and just brought in another guy? I mean, wouldn't oh, be, people be screaming about that? Yes. It would be Peter Jackson so it, crucified. It kind of seems like, you know, Peter Jackson is in a no-win situation. If he wants to increase the profile of the elves and actually introduce them and have some kind of dramatic tension going on and not have them be essentially monolithic. Like, again, there's the Elven King and there's nobody else. So the Elven King speaks for the elves, and there's no sense of any kind of, like, you know, the rest of the elves just go along with the Elven King and do whatever he says. Um, you know, but to have some sense of what the elves are really thinking and some kind of uh, some kind of dramatic tension between the elven king and anybody else i mean there's got to be somebody so I, you know, say you could just do it with Legolas. Legolas kind of has to be there. I think that's unavoidable. I mean, what on earth was he going to do? Explain that Legolas happened to be off at, you know, at at like, uh, you know, uh, his uh, summer camp uh, that day, that year. I mean, like seriously, like Legolas has to be present. So. Anyway, so I think that the, 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 the creation of Toriel is therefore very understandable, and the fact that they made her a female character is almost necessary. They, 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 they'd, get, they'd get absolutely destroyed uh, if they just created more male characters. So, Toriel is therefore, I think, defensible. And as I confessed when we saw the trailer, I actually think Toriel looks kind of cool, and I'm actually I'm, I'm much more interested in the Toriel character than I was. But, um, uh, yeah, Sharon was just confessing the same thing. Sharon says, based merely on the trailers and snippets, I'm totally sold on Toriel. I was very resistant at first, uh, but I get a really good feeling about how she's being depicted. Yeah, I, 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 I also liked her in the trailer, so we'll see. Um, 
Uh, but what role do we think, you know, so we can hear her talking. One question, by the way, the famous scene in the trailer where, you know, the whole, this is not our fight, no, this is our fight uh, conversation that she's having with Legolas. What's she talking about that? What is she, like, what is the subject, what fight? Is she talking about the fight, bet- like, the attack on Smaug, like their trip to the Lonely Mountain? Is she talking about the fight with the goblins? Because pres- uh, apparently there have been just goblins coming and attacking. Is she talking about Mirkwood? Like, are they talking about the spiders and everything? Um, to me, it's really unclear what uh, is the actual subject of their conversation. Do you guys have any, have any, have any guesses about that? Um, I, I personally... I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I would venture to guess that the it that it's question. in response to the the attack by the goblins or the orcs or the Azog tribe or you know, whatever whatever they yeah. count as. Yeah. I would venture to. It's almost certainly seems related to that somehow. Um, so let's see. For sure, she's not talking about opposing the dwarves because they wouldn't have chased them if they didn't think that they were worth opposing or trying to stop or whatever. So it's not that. Um, And it's not really the... the, They're not talking specifically, I guess, about the dragon yet because they're not really fighting the dragon. It just seems like it must be in reference to whatever just took place where basically Legolas is like, you know what, Eh, let's let's just let it go. Uh, and Toriel's like, no, no, we should help them or whatever. Don't they have the conversation kind of uh, on the? They're on the rock outcropping, aren't they? That leads out to the lake. So it looks yes. like. I mean, I got the impression that they have that conversation at the end of the chase scene, where now the dwarves have gotten away in their barrels. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah that's the that's the impression that I get too, because they're right next to the river, uh, and right. it does seem that Lake Town is in the distance there. That does seem to be the timing of it, though. That doesn't necessarily say. Um, I, <sighs> So we, so well, we've I mean, had... there are orcs, obviously. For all we right. know, the orcs have, like, continued on, and they know the orcs have crashed through the trees and are continuing to chase them. So it could be in that context, which is that she wants to go on and, and, and continue on, and he doesn't want to specifically in that moment, you know, go after the orcs. I mean, it could be that. Or it could be something as... It, it seems, it seems white like... sweeping as evil yeah, in Middle-earth in general. It seems like it's in reference to the attack by the orcs, whether it's continuing to protect the dwarves or maybe pursuing the orcs. I, I'm guessing she... Maybe she's advocating for like, hey, we should go take those guys out, and like, is like, well, and it's just like, yeah. Um, but but I think it's also probably call out the troops and go after them. Yeah, it's yeah. probably also more generally in reference to just the events that appear to be moving, right? I would think so. I mean, this seems to be... If we understand that conversation broadly, then essentially what it amounts to is, should we continue just minding our own business and just stay home and guard our borders? Or, you know, is there an evil stirring in the world that it is our responsibility to take part in? And, of course, if that's true... um, are those dwarves that just escaped from our prison on our side or on the evil side? And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and it, the impression that that scene gives me, though it might be misleading, the impression is basically that she is saying, uh, you know, we should be proactive in, in opposing the evil that is clearly on the rise, and those guys are also the good guys, so we should lay off them. 
um, or we should work for them. I don't necessarily, you know, does this mean that they're, you know, that she is advocating attacking the dragon? I don't know. That seems conceivable that she is arguing and saying, no, we should be helping them, which would mean, in, under the circumstances, uh, it could just mean with the goblins who are obviously hunting them, um, you know, that, that it's just an orc question, but it, but it could even mean as much as, no, we should go help them. We should lo- let's go send some archers up to, to, to help try to take out the dragon. I, I don't know. I mean, that seems to me less likely, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. Here's my thinking with regard to I I it, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see Thranduil be very isolationist. I think we're going to see Tauriel be very whatever opposite of isolationist is, and I think we're going to see Legolas being uh, in conflict between those two sides. I think as the as the movies progress, I believe Tauriel will be the catalyst that will turn Legolas more toward the outer world, which will make which will then make sense when we see him in the Council of Elrond. Okay. That makes sense to me. And that essentially Legolas's conversion from one way of thinking to the other right. would then sort of serve as a kind of microcosm of... And, right, it would not only be character development for him in, him, him in particular and set up what happens with him in the Lord of the Rings films in various ways, but also his conversion to that way of thinking would be like a kind of microcosm for, you know, the elven realm in general. And that once Legolas is convinced that he can, you know, along with Toriel help, you know, or sort of bring his father to decide, but keep in mind, I do suspect that we're going to get, you know, that we're, we're, we're still going to get the, battle of three armies that almost happened uh you know that is to say <laughs> dwarves versus elves and men um yeah. and that is probably going to be all thranduil so it's not going to be just a, a matter of like okay yeah you're right let's all go and help the dwarves no no it, I, it, it'll it, initially it'll backfire it'll be like, you're right we should get more involved in the outer world let's go take this treasure yeah yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, and I expect to see Legolas conflicted all the way through the to the Battle of Five Armies. As Kim says, um, she's you know she's theorizing that uh, Tariel's death in the Battle of Five Armies will be the final thing that will convert Legolas over totally. But that he'll be you know I'm thinking he'll be conflicted. He'll probably fight on his. I mean I'm sure he'll fight on his father's side in the Battle of Three slash Five Armies, Battle of Three to Five Armies. Right. Right. The Battle of uh, of several. Though not quite clearly numbered. Um, yeah, actually, that would be an that would be an interesting riddle. Though this is a season three riddle, but when when we get to season three, exactly. we totally need to do. It. No, uh, I, I'm I'm how thinking of body counts. Oh, like how many deaths are we gonna like? Which of which uh, I. How many of the following characters do you believe will die at the end of this? You know, so we've we've got because we've got a, a, a large number of corpses piling up. I mean, we've got not only Thorin and Keely and Feely, whom the book leads us to believe are going to die. Um, will any of the other dwarves die? That's possible. Um, the Rankin Bass film killed off seven of them, as I recall. Yeah, that's, um, that's right. The dwarves. Um, 
But then we've also got Toriel, whom everybody has slated for death. I think nothing will shock the world more than Toriel's survival at the end of that film. And Radagast, exactly. It's another one that we've talked about. And, of course, Sebastian the Hedgehog and Galleon the Butler. So there are lots of people who could conceivably die. And uh, And the Master of Lake Town. The Master of Lake Town. Um, so yeah, which uh, you know, which or how many of these uh, of these corpses will we actually get by the end of the third film? Um, is uh, it, it, but anyway, I said that's a season three riddle. Um, but yes, certainly, uh, I, I would, uh, I would. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it does seem pretty clear that now would be the time uh, for Toriel to purchase that life insurance policy because the odds of her survival <laughs> seem very, very low. Um, but anyway, hey, since you brought Galleon up, I do yeah. want to let you know that Kim pointed out that she, uh, as far as she knew, Galleon had been uh, cast. So I went over to the, of course, always reliable IMDb, yeah. um, and they do have Galleon listed as a rumored cast. That's an actor's name cast as Galleon, and then in parentheses it says rumored. So you may be right. We may get a Lindir-like Galleon in. No question. Yeah, I'm that, telling you, you can you can take reliable. it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's it, it, this, is, this is not based on IMDb. It's not based on IMDb. I mean, you can take it to the bank. Okay. I'm telling you, you can take it to the bank. Uh, on my word, you can take it to the bank. We're going to oh, get a good. character. Even more account. reliable than IMDb. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, of course, based on your, your performance in the... Uh, the hey, 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 let me ask this. Did I or did I not confidently predict that we would get Thor's dismembered head? Huh? Huh? I totally called that one. So, therefore, ignoring all of the other things that I called that didn't happen, I have a clear record, and I'm telling you, we're going to get a galleon among the woodouts. So there. <laughs> we didn't get burnt dwarves, but you didn't think we were going to get burnt dwarves. No, no, no. I was that was a that that was a that was a hope against hope from the beginning. So yeah, but um, um, but no, Thor's dismembered head I called. So therefore, I feel in, in, overwhelmed with confidence um, that we are going to get a raven. We, we're going to get Roach the Raven, and we are going to get an elf named Galleon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I see Sharon and I predicted we wouldn't get a talking purse see people keep reminding me of how accurate my predictions are so there we are yep <laughs> no talking purse uh, you know plus a dismembered head if we if we, if we, um, if we only pick out the, the, the things that you got right you were like 100% yeah exactly exactly that's that's exactly my rationale so so yeah, I think that that's a I think that's a st- a statistically sound approach uh, yeah. to this question. Yep. And would set it would set Corey up to run for office. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, any 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 uh, let's get back to Toriel though. Any any other Toriel question? I mean, <laughs> we're all avoiding, and I, and I, I suggest we just keep avoiding um, the uh, the distasteful question of uh, Toriel dwarf romance. Um, but, uh, um, oh, yes, oh, please. So, yeah, so let's not well, go she, there. You know, I mean, this interesting thing about Tariel, I mean, she's it's not just that they have a girl elf in, the, in this movie, but she seems to be playing a pretty major role in the story. Um, so it's not even just that Jack's introduced a girl elf, you know, to bring some more women into it, but I mean, she's got a pretty major 
impact, it seems to me, like on the story. So I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. Yes, the people who are fond of complaining that there aren't any female characters in Tolkien or in movies in general should be... I, I, Hang on, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Hearing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, he's gone away. Freaking, freaking back. Um, I, I, I'm, well, okay, I was going to suggest that this film might pass the Bechtel test, but no, it won't, because there probably won't be any female character for Toriel to talk to, but... Um, but people should still be pretty happy because it's not like she's just like a random Tolkien female character that doesn't do anything or only finds a way after right, she's Right, yeah. She looks pretty accurate. Yep. I've already seen scenes of her kicking butt. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, and Dave, you were talking about, I think, that, you know, whether or not the Hobbit film is going to pass the Bechtel test. And, I mean, are there enough? I mean, well, we, we would have to get Torio and Galadriel together, wouldn't we? I mean, yes. like, are there hey, two? I mean, there are barely more than two female characters in the film. That's true. That, that's not inconceivable, because Toriel being the, the, um, the foreign policy hawk that she is, so it could easily yep. <laughs> You can imagine her um, uh, being a part of the the, this, um, the attack on what's it called on Bill Bigger. Poor Dave. Did I fade out? I think it's really comical. Yeah, the thing that's really comical about your your audio is that whenever you start talking, it immediately sounds like you start falling down a hole or something. You're you're walking away from your computer and talking. Yes. It's not just that it drops down, it's that it it, it fades steadily away. It's like, there goes Dave out into orbit again. Oh, I have a new strategy. I can, I can click and hold on the thing and, and, and compel it to stay high so it catches me. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. And then there's times that it sounds like you're standing next to the falls of Rara, so... Uh, yes, yes. I was just suggesting that um, perhaps uh, you could imagine her being a part of the attack on Dol Boulder, since she's the foreign policy hawk uh, that she is. Right, right. Yeah, I, that is possible. And I, you know, it is one of the questions, though, I mean, I have so much uncertainty about what's going to be really happening at Del Guldur that I don't even know what to say. But, like, basically, whether or not the elves who are also in Mirkwood are going to be in any way connected with that, um, you know, as I, I, I've kind of left it behind. Um, but even back to that first point about what she's referring to when she says that it is our fight, um, it is possible, it is conceivable to me that 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 the, the you know her her saying no we need to oppose the evil um that that's something that actually leads to them you know taking arms in Mirkwood against the spiders and things um so you know i i do actually think that it's that it's quite possible that um we could see some uh you know wood elf intervention in uh in the dogolder situation but as i say i don't i don't have any clear sense of what's going to really be happening at Del Guldor. We've certainly not been given anything to really go on. I am really hoping for a more Del Guldor-focused trailer later on. Um, I'm, I'm, that, I, would, I would love to see that. Of course, I'd just love to see a second trailer, period, frankly. Yeah, or really just anything. Anything, anything. anything. I know. Any, anything. He's being, to, he's being so parsimonious this year. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm starting to worry that there's not actually a movie coming out. 
I don't know. I mean, do, 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 I mean, do, we haven't had yeah. any video blogs. We haven't had any anything. Um, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, um, yeah. I can tell you're reading. You're reading the things here. I am. I am looking through things here. Um, yeah, I don't. Um, it is a little strange to me. I mean, it's one. It was one thing when we did not get anything from uh, um, from Comic Con. You know, like okay, so he took Comic Con off this year. Right. You know, that's not a that's not a big deal. Um, but uh, but why there hasn't been? I mean, it does seem like we got a, a great deal of a great deal more um, in the way of uh, of trailers and images and things uh, by this time. So, I don't know. Yes, okay. I think we should send him a nasty, nasty note. Okay, something else I've just been looking at, which is a little peculiar. I just got a question by Twitter. Um, That's and interesting. And I... I was immediately dismissive of it because uh, I thought that clearly, obviously, this person who just tweeted me must be crazy. But I just checked it, and he's not. Elros is listed among the characters in IMDb for both of the last right. two Hobbit films. Yeah, we know. Yeah, for both the last two. But I don't. There hasn't really been. I did. Was there a named Elros? There wasn't one in uh, Unexpected Journey. No, but he's in. Remember last year we noticed that. And I and I heard this, and I and it was and it's been discussed. Um, I seem to call. I think I read about. I was reading like uh, OneRing.net forums or something. We we're talking about where basically they were saying, "Oh yeah, but it's not that Elros. It's just like a random yeah." They're just dude. recycling the names. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would assume that they would just be recycling the name because it's hard to imagine that they're going. To, I mean, I, obviously. Surely, there is absolutely no way that they could um, actually make a reference to the real Elros character for crying out loud. I mean, you know, like, and now Numenor for no reason. I mean, like, that's, that's <laughs> surely not going to happen. But, um, I, yeah, so no, I, no, but. Yeah, are they gonna? Are they? Are, are they just gonna bring that in as another like Easter egg name? Like they have another another elf, and he's and he's called Elros. So it's just basically a random wood elf. Um, yeah, interesting. If it's anything, it's got to be that. But that's a little. That's a little crazy. See, it's it's that kind of thing that like makes me question like. Including Lindir's name as an elf of Rivendell, like that's legitimately cool. That like gives you props, you know, in the same way that mentioning Ungoliant gives you props with Tolkien fans. Like if you remember that there is an elf right. named Lindir who lives in Rivendell and toss that out there, you know, like one for you, Peter Jackson. If you recycle the name of a major character from the first age of Middle Earth as a random nobody, um, that's not cool. Like, I'm sorry. Having some random red shirt elf named Elros, uh, not cool. Not cool. I disapprove if that's in fact what happens. 
but uh, yeah. So uh, sorry, I, I wanted to uh, address my uh, uh, that 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 as the uh, as I happen to get a random tweet this minute uh, for a uh, minor wood elf character that seemed that seemed relevant to our current discussion. Um, our, we should probably get to our riddle about Toriel, because we do have a Toriel riddle. Yes. Uh, and our Toriel riddle is specifically involved... Uh, our, our question is, how, what role will Toriel play in the escape of the dwarves from the Elven King's dungeons? Um, option A, as always, the book answer is no role whatsoever. <laughs> that is, in fact, the book answer to this question. Um... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so she is completely unrelated in all ways to the escape of the elves. Um, the um, uh, the the so so that's a b is she plays no role in their actual escape, though she speaks up in support of them. Um, but again, she doesn't. But she doesn't have anything to do with the escape. But she does. Uh, so, so she is outspoken. She is on the pro thorn and dwarf side, but doesn't help them escape. Option C is she doesn't do anything active to make the es- escape happen, but she deliberately turns a blind eye to it. She sees it happening and makes the conscious choice to permit it to happen. Doesn't make it happen. Doesn't let them out, but but actively makes it. Uh, but actively permits it to occur. Option D would be she actively contrives at their escape in one way or another. So, A, she plays no role. B, she argues for them and supports them, but but is not actually connected to the escape itself. B, is she, she, she consciously turns a blind eye to their escape, um, but doesn't contrive at it. D, is she actively contrives at it and assists in their escape. Okay, I got a question. What, what if it, we have sort of a combination of C and D, where she not, hasn't been involved necessarily in you know active planning of an escape, but she happens to be walking down the corridor when she sees mysteriously the dungeon doors open because we have a, 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 a invisible Bilbo opening the dungeon doors, and she basically turns around and goes and like creates a diversion and sort of you know gets in the way of Thrandall being able to see anything and that kind of. If thing. she creates a, a diversion, a it's D. If she creates a diversion, it's D. If she just sees the doors opening and walks away and doesn't say anything, that's C. That's C. Okay. But if she actually does something actively, even if it's not in collusion with the dwarves, but on her own part, yes. creates yeah. a diversion, creates a distraction, any of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would. I would. I would say. I would. I, I would call that D. And I would basically say that the same. The same rule would apply here as we've done with other riddles. Um, you know, the correct answer defaults to the to the you know the maximum level of involvement. So if you get, you know, what looks like several partials, the correct answer is, you know, the 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 greater degree of action. So, yeah. So, yeah. Brian Mahoney says, couldn't she be also part of the, uh, Brian Mahoney says, couldn't she be part of the group that seems to be chasing the dwarves as they escape in the trailer? I, I think she actually is part of the, of the group. Um, so, E, she tries to prevent the escape. But I, I, I don't think her chasing the dwarves necessarily negates her having taken part in their escape. I mean, she's got to have a cover. You know, she's not going to, like, stand back and say, oh, no, I'm not follow- I'm not going with you guys because I-, I helped them get out. You know, she's still got to play the role of... Yeah, I mean, it, it is true that our answers are, 
are like completely assuming that she's on the dwarves side from the beginning you know we're not even really holding open as an option that she is totally anti the dwarves and glad to see them in prison and hopes to keep them there yeah, um, I was going to say shouldn't we have an answer that she actually attempts to prevent it Okay. Yeah. So fine. We'll say that. Well, E, uh, as uh, as Brian suggests, E, she tries to prevent the escape. E, it turns out she's really mean after all, and hates all dwarves, and and uh, and <laughs> like is an obstructionist uh, and a jerk, and decides to keep them all in prison. Obviously, and is like for e. volunteering to like be the one to torture them and everything. You know, she she's like, yeah, like I think we should. Yep, that would be E. That would be E. Well. I, I... I mean, it doesn't, it, it could just simply be she hasn't, she, she, maybe she sympathizes with them, but she's, you know, she obeys her orders and she, and she, while she thinks they should be treated fine, she also doesn't think they should escape. Um, suppose yep. she. B would have to be, B would have to be that, that she, that she actually argues for them to be released. Right. Um, suppose you know, uh, actually I'm, I'm thinking for, for continuity's sake maybe we should move the E answer up and make it B yes then we have nothing she actually oh, okay. she actually you know prevents or argues for their 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 she actually tries to prevent escape or to argue for their retention C then would be uh, she argues for them to be released but doesn't do anything D would be she turns a blind eye and E would then be she actually assists them in escaping. Um, suppose <laughs> she suppose she notices notices doors mysteriously opening, and and her reaction is curiosity, like, hmm, what's going on? This is bizarre. I'm going to follow them to find out what's happening. If she doesn't do anything to stop it, it would be. D now the new D the it, that would be turning a blind eye, okay. right? Um, uh, I mean, it's true that we don't have an answer for she is completely clueless and an idiot, and so like doesn't suspect <laughs> that an escape is occurring. Uh, but I mean, I guess that could count as A technically uh, that she plays no role in their escape whatsoever. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ed Powell says the barrel sequence is actually a failed attempt by Dariel to waterboard the dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, now Sharon has a good question. Can it still be B even if she then helps them later on the river by attacking the orcs? Yes. I would say once they're in barrels and on the river, uh, it's kind of fair game. Like Once the orcs attack, the game is sort of changed. So the question of what does she do when the orcs attack is to me a different question of, their, of, of assisting their actual escape. Even if she, even if she is pro-dwarven imprisonment in the film, that doesn't mean that she's not going to attack gob- you know, orcs when orcs are attacking in her forest. So, um, so I think that that's a totally different question that would not be related to this riddle. So basically, from, from dwarves in a dungeon to dwarves in barrels on the river, in that sequence, what role does she play? All right. Hmm. Now, you know, B also doesn't mean she's um, 
it, it doesn't mean that she is uh, hostile toward the dwarves. It could be for benevolent reasons, like you guys are not prepared to uh, fight the evil that's out there. We need to keep you in prison for your own good, and you know, those of us who know how to kill dwarves orcs will go take care of it. Are you sufficiently committed to fighting evil? I don't think you've really proven your commitment. We need to keep you in a dungeon. Yeah, we are, are going to put you in a dungeon until you like take some remedial evil fighting. You know, you need to take some you know courses, you know, and show that you're really ready. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, now, I, I wanted to mention a larger a point that Kim is making here, which is a very important one. Um, Kim says that she's feeling protective of Bilbo in this scene. Uh, you know, she says she she thinks it's important that the escape plan is Bilbo's idea and doing. Um, it would be okay, she thinks, if Toriel turns a blind eye. But she is having a real problem with the idea of Toriel being, you know, a mover in the in the thing because that would take away from Bilbo. That is certainly one of the big questions here. In fact, it's to me one of the biggest. It is my biggest question about the dungeon escape in the first place. To what extent? Is the film going to depict that as being Bilbo, you know, a big moment by Bilbo? Are the dwarves going to have more of an active role? Um, are, or is it going to be entirely Bilbo? Is it going to be even Bilbo conspiring with, maybe Bilbo, uh, Toriel actually sees Bilbo? And, uh, and, and the two of them talk. You know. Huh? Yeah, we actually we actually did a riddle on this, which was you know, will it be Bilbo by himself or Bilbo? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's 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 a big that that is to me a big question. I don't think that the focus is going to shift to the point of having the escape of the dwarves be Toriel's thing, such that Bilbo is just a hanger on to the whole incident. Um, But uh, but I could see Trish the example that you just gave of her creating a, diver, a diversion right. or doing right. something active right. to slow the pursuit um, of the dwarves or even to attempt to prevent it and be overruled or something. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like that kind of thing I could see. Um, but I, um, um, but I don't think that uh, I, I, I do suspect that Bilbo is still going to get uh, a plenty of, uh, <laughs> Ed says, okay, Toriel catches Bilbo uh, and then decides to take him to, <laughs> to Minas Tirith. <laughs> and, then a, <laughs> and then a chance meeting with a ring wraith changes her mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I, I think that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> hey, that's right up there with Radagast translating the thrush for, for, uh, for Mark, right? I mean, yeah. Ed and I could make a kick-ass movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. Let's re- so I'm going to step review. out here, even though I haven't actually made it. I like it, Ed. Okay. Here, let me read them the way they're going to end up being okay, yeah. showing up yeah. on, the, on the thing. Okay. So the question is, the question here is, um, what role will Tariel play in the escape of Thorn and company from the Elven Dungeons? A, she doesn't interact with any of them, book answer. B, she tries to prevent the escape. C, she speaks on their behalf but doesn't take any action. D, she turns a blind eye to the company's escape but doesn't take any action. E, she takes an active part in their escape. So I'm going to step out here. And my thing is, I think that she is going to be she's going to be portrayed as being very um, at odds with Thranduil's position. 
on the dwarves and, you know, his interactions with them and his attitude toward them. So I think she's going to have a real problem with, you know, even though she's been her, like, foster father and blah, 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 and all this stuff, she's going to have a real problem with this because it's in conflict with kind of how she's believing things should be. Um, so it's either D or E for me, and I think given my question about her, you know, what what is it if she creates a distraction, I'm going to go for E. I think she's going to not take an active part in the sense of conspiring overtly with Bilbo and or the dwarves, but I think she's going to stumble on the escape, and she's going to then support it by, by creating a distraction or diversion or something like that. Should we, should we perhaps merge C and D? speaking out on their behalf. Actually, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. I, I, I think I think um, the last three answers, C, D, and E, all imply... I think that, that, Yeah, so so let's let's not make it turn on whether she speaks out. Or actually, let's we make, can get rid of C entirely, probably. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's just, yeah. Make, let's just ditch it. Let's make the dividing line... Let's get rid of C line, entirely. Yeah, the dividing okay. line between B and the last two answers should be whether she sympathizes with them or not. In B, right. she does not sympathize with them. So B, she tries whether... to prevent the escape. C, she turns a blind yeah. eye, and D takes yeah. an active part. B, well, B is B. B boils down to it's clear that she it's clear that she does not sympathize with them. Whether it's because she tries to prevent the escape, or she <laughs> speaks out against them, or in passing conversation, you know, because it's entirely possible she won't know about their escape and then she's not doing anything about it. So I think, I think the difference is a is like, she just, there's just no plot thread connecting her to their escape. B is to their escape itself. Yeah. 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 She doesn't, yeah. not only does she not know about it, she doesn't even say anything about it. She just doesn't even, in, isn't even involved in the dwarf storyline, which would be the book. Answer. B is, she is not sympathetic to them. She either speaks out against them or makes it clear through her, her words and deeds that she is against them. And that might include trying to prevent their escape. C is um, that she is sympathetic to them and, in fact, aware of their escape. Or uh, C, is, C is she is sympathetic to them and either not aware of their escape or aware but doesn't do anything about it. D is not only is she sympathetic and aware of their escape but actually proactively attempts to help them. How's that? Yep. 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 No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I don't think it's overcomplicating it. I mean, the question is what role will she play? Yeah. It's not about whether she's sympathetic or not, but what role will Tariel play? So she has no role. She tries to prevent the escape. She turns up All right. the or she takes it. Why don't we... Why don't whether we, she's a sympathetic or not really isn't the issue. Yeah. Why don't, why don't... In that case, why don't we just make it... Why don't we make it three answers? No, 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 four. I like it. We, yeah. we got it. We're good. This, right. this is good. Okay. A, she does nothing. B, and, and again, and A could be either way. Like, as far as whether or not she's sympathetic, she could be a dwarf hater and yet do not and and have no part in their in their uh, yeah. escape. Or she could have, be like totally crushing on Kiwi and I'm, still play no part in their escape. Right. Yeah, okay. And so, be unaware. So she has no role, is what I say. She, she plays she no, no role in the escape. escape. B is she actively attempts to thwart it or to prevent it. C and then so so C and D is still an important distinction, but essentially there are three options: either she plays no role, or she tries to prevent it, or she tries to help it. But I do think it's, it's significant to distinguish between basically passive and active assistance uh, in their escape. So we can keep C and D in that way. So okay. So this is this is final. We have definitely worked out all of the kinks in our riddle here. Uh, oh, yeah. The new riddle is officially uh, set in stone as follows. A, she plays no role. B, she 
tries to prevent or to thwart the escape. C, she plays a passive role in supporting it, in turning a blind eye. And D, she plays some active role in assisting or planning the escape. Okay. And Trish, you're going with D in our finally refined system here. Well, because of the fact... Right, because of the fact that I think she does, she, I think she'll stumble on it. In other words, she won't know in advance, and she won't take a part in planning, but she'll stumble on it and then go help, you know, as she can by creating a diversion or, you know, look, Haley's Comet, you know, while the guys are sneaking out. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's the point at which she inexplicably gets Gowie and the butler drunk. Huh? <laughs> That could be the diversion. That could be the diversion. Yeah. yeah there you go. That yeah. Could be Give it up. There's yeah, or she pulls the, the servants out of the wine cellar with a question. Or she pulls Galleon over and says, tell me about this wine over here. Right. Is this yeah. wine here? You know, keeps it back. I, I, I love the idea of the diversion being a, a, a impromptu wine tasting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Love there it. There you go. Love it. Nothing nothing or could Ed be says more she plausible. Him, Ed, Ed, you're mad. You've been watching too many Games of Thrones. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Thrones in here and says, Jesus exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, what is wrong uh, with you? Yeah, no, this is not an HBO production. So, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I say we. Um, yeah. Well. I'm going to go, first of all, I was going to say, Trish, I agree with your first initial premise, as is probably obvious from the initial, from the way that I was slanting the initial choices uh, for this riddle that I came up with. I think that she is going to be supportive of the dwarves. I, I think there's like a 0% chance she's going to end up being a dwarf hater. Um, uh, so I, I too agree. Because keep in mind, not only is this a question of, you know, the, the, the the scenario here, Thranduil's imprisonment of the dwarves is unjust. I mean, it is a bad thing that he is doing and made worse, conceivably, by the fact that Thorin is his rightful liege lord. As we talked about way back when we when we discussed this, the imprisonment, the, 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 the ante has been significantly upped on the imprisonment of Thorin. Uh, Thranduil knows who he is, knows that he is the person to whom he, I guess, owes fealty from what we saw in film one, and is going to, like, unlawfully throw him in jail anyway. Um, it doesn't take a very rebellious kind of person to say, you know what, I think it's time for some civil disobedience right now. Like, this is not right. You know, Thranduil is totally off his rocker on this question. Like, there is, you know, like... For whatever reason, the Elven King has has just come off the rails on the issue of Thorin and these dwarves. He is he is doing wrong here. Um, you know this is unjust and needs to be remedied. Um, so I I do suspect that that's going to be the voice that Toriel is going to have in the film. Um, however, I'm going to go with C. I think that she is going to be passive. I don't see her playing an active role. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. Um, Sharon points out that it's, you know, if Thorin openly attacks him when they meet, that that would be excuse for Thorin to be imprisoned. 
It's possible. I mean, goodness knows that Thorin is depicted as pig-headed enough where the elf question is concerned in film one that, you know, we could see him doing something uh, worthy of bonds as uh, here, I see I'm quoting Faramir. Um, but anyway, um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can see that, Sharon, but even then, you know, I mean, um, even then, I would think there would be a great deal of sympathy for the anti-Thranduil camp. It's hard for me to see everybody being like, "Yeah, you know what, Thranduil, you're right. Like, just throw him. Let's let's let, let's just let him rot in jail." Because I mean, like, Thorin has a good complaint. Like, you know, his 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 elf issues uh, are you know are grounded in a in a in a, in a pretty you know at a pretty serious thing. He you know he he believes that they abandoned and betrayed them. So anyway, uh, I think um, I think we can. Yeah, I, Michael, you're right. I knew somebody was going to jump on me for using the word fealty. Uh, yes, the word used was homage. I was I, almost I, I going to, but I, I know, I know. I was. I, I apologize. I, I, I deeply repent. I said repent. he's a stubborn customer. Our talking professor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I repent. You're not going to give up on this fealty thing. Okay. I, 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 it's fine. I, I don't. It's, it's, it's good. Um, um, I, though you know. Oh, wait, hang on a second. I forgot. I forgot my other awesome prediction that Thorin is going to kill Thranduil's moose. Uh, excuse me, elk. Um, so that Thorin is going to be lawfully detained for elk murder. For, for elk murder. Yeah, Elk-aside. no, that's... Moose murder, right? Elk aside. Yeah, moose, moose aside. Um, wait, absolutely. Is it, is it a that's, moose or an elk? It's an elk. Well, but, that could be why he ends up getting in prison, right? Oh, it, it's an elk. My Corey says moose to get my goat. By all no, means, I, say, I say moose both moose. because... I, 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 I keep referring to it as a moose both because it annoys Trish, but also because moose is funnier. <laughs> like, the comic value of moose <laughs> over elk is like 20 to 1. I, I mean, there's just there, there, there can't be two schools of thought on that. So, um, I just... anyway. That's bad enough. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway. Um, uh, but yeah. Anyway. So my prediction is C. I predict C. She is. Uh, she is. Um, I don't see her uh, either supporting or uh, uh, I, I certainly don't. I, I don't see her supporting their imprisonment. I certainly don't see her assisting their imprisonment. I don't even see her. Um, basically, if they are escaping, that's exactly the position I would expect her to be in: is opposing Thranduil, but sufficiently loyal that she's not going to take an active step to help them escape. But that basically, Toriel sees them escaping and is thinking, you know what I see? I see the best case scenario right here. I think it's best that they escape. I didn't want to be the one who, you know, turned the key, but if they escape, I'm glad to see it. So I expect to see says, phrases one never thought to hear. The comic value of Moose to Elk is 20 to 1. This is the value of Mythgard, you see. You don't get that anywhere else. But, but, am, but, I mean, am I right or what? I mean, seriously. You right. I, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's much funnier. Elk is not funny. Elk is... There's nothing funny about elks. No, elks are very serious. You know, I mean, Moose. that's... Yeah. 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 
Um, I think it's this is just something. There's something phono, there's something phonological about that. Something about the word moose that is intrinsically comical. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I'll have, I, ask, I'll have to ask Nelson where that word derives from because I'm taking the philology course. Yeah, so that's true. I'll, I'll, make that, I'll make that note in the discussion group to ask where the word comes Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Dave. Dave. See, Corey stole all my arguments. I, I, I stole all your arguments? Yeah. I, actually, oh, the one thing that. I would like to add, so you focused on... Um, uh, you focused on... The, the, her sympathy for the the dwarves and maybe her outrage at the injustice of this situation and all that. I think the one other factor that could be a play is just this general desire to engage with the outside world. Um, that seems to be big. That's that seems to be a big. There's been some comments from like Lee Pace and stuff about this, and like and from the filmmakers about about the isolationist stance of Thranduil. And I really think that we're going to see see um, uh, sort of opposition to that, if if not vocal, then then certainly sort of interior to to um, uh, Toriel. But she really is the one that's like, I don't, I want to be involved in the outside world. Um, I don't want to be at isolationist. Whether it's out of idealism, hey, there's bad stuff going on, we need to be involved, or out of adventurism, like I just want to get out of the woods and go see something else. So I think that could be another factor of play, which is I don't really care what happened to these dwarves, but I just know that if we let them go, I, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> this is my ticket. So I think that could be that could be the one other factor that might be at play. And see, yeah. I, I want to actually use that to defend D some more, because Brianna is saying that she's going with B because uh, she doesn't see uh, 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 her wanting to like be op- you know traitorous to Thranduil, and I agree with that. And Corey, you said that too in your C. You know, she doesn't want to be openly like you know a, a traitor. But I do believe that D. That's the reason why I asked the diversion question because I think she's an envelope pusher, and as long as she has plausible deniability to Thranduil, no, I was just talking wine with Galleon. I didn't see what was going on. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I mean, I was totally you know. That she would push the envelope, and I think it, the you know Dave just made this, this an argument in support of that too, which is it's her ticket out of there, you know. So I think she would go. I think she'd be a line walker with regard to helping them escape in a very you know quiet way, not overtly, so that she can't be accused of being you know uh, disloyal. Though to me, that's just the, my though, wish for to D. me, uh, Trish, the strongest argument in favor of D. Uh, is basically that she, it is clear that they are making Toriel a very strong female character um, in the film, you know, and the desire to show her as being proactive, I think, right, is something I right. would expect to weigh heavily with them. So I, I could imagine for that reason, them deciding to go ahead and pull the trigger on having her play some kind of active role. Right, right, right. So... Yeah, see, I, I, I mean, I, I, and that's true, you know, the heroine, and so Kim and I were talking about that, I mean, Jackson seems to want to just not make her, like, a, a big heroine, you know, not right. just a character, but she's a heroine, right. so, but I do, I do kind of balk at the idea of her being too overt about it, you know, like, in Thrandall's face about it, yeah, I helped him escape, you know, what are you going to do, kill that's me? Right. I mean, I just right. don't see her doing that, <laughs> going yeah. that far. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I, I do agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see her an open rebellion against Thranduil, essentially. Right. Um, yeah. But I do think she'll do a... I think the message to young women will be, think for yourself. I think that's kind of where we're going to go with this. Philippa Boyant, you know, she's going to be this role, you know, think for yourself, do what's right in your heart kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Though, of course, you know, that, you know, Dave, and the stuff that you were saying about her, you know, leads to sort of the, uh, an obvious um, parallel with Eowyn, of course, about the, you know, her just wanting to get out and, uh, and to, you know, to break out of the world in which she's been constrained. Um, it, it will be interesting to see, because, of course, even to, even just to moviegoers, it's going to be an obvious parallel. Um, and it will be interesting to see if they play off that in any way. I mean, there's, you know, are we going to get any elements of... I mean, I assume she's not going to be experiencing anything like the kind of despair that Aelin experiences, but um, but I no, will be interested to die. see if they end up going there. <laughs> she's she, she's just going to die? Right. She's going to die? No. Yeah. Now, now uh, Harold Johnson makes a point of saying, back to the... Uh, Back to the moose issue, that killing Thranduil's elk would be at least uh, two centiturns. Yes, actually, those are two uh, two uh, two deciturns. He's given it. Um, oh, two yeah. deciturns. Sorry, zero point two turns. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, it would be well if if uh, if Thorin knew. That it was Thranduil's elk, I, I'd go ahead and raise that to a full half Turin, actually. Um, yeah, if if like he sees it and recognizes it as the elk that Thranduil rides on and shoots it anyway, that would be that would be that would be at least 0.5 Turins there, uh, no question. Uh, Michael has the has the answer. Michael. Lucero has the answer. I ah. think Tariel will leave Mirkwood in defiance of the Elven King, meet Radagast, who turns her into a thrush, and ends up telling Bard how to defeat Smaug. There you go. And ah. then ah. dies in a puff of feathers when Bard shoots Smaug. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. It has every, all of the elements neatly woven in together. I really can't think of a more elegant solution to this problem. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, I think that I think that I think that basically I think that basically uh, uh, puts it to bed. Then I just um, have, I have one last comment. Okay. Uh, well, for one thing, one comment which is uh, Sean Tuxel asks, "Will Toriel play an active convincing time duel to march to Erebor?" Blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, basically, that's that's a that's a movie three question. So we'll write that one down, Sean. But that could be an excellent. Yep. Uh, yeah. Riddle. Yeah. Yeah. What role she will play in the Battle of Five Armies specifically, or because, right? Yeah, that's a, the, uh, other than dying. That would be a really good. Uh, that, that that's that's definitely going to be an episode in season three to talk about what's Toriel's role going to be um, with the march on Erebor because that that seem that looks to be a pretty complicated question. So. Yeah. Um, and then my my only other comment is uh, one of the, one of these days we're gonna have to sit down and talk about this Turing scale because I, I feel like I feel like assigning a, a killing of a moose half a Turin. I mean, come on, the things that Turin did. I, yeah, I yeah, like but the, several of Turin's but several of Turin's decisions are more than a one point oh Turin. Oh, uh, so I oh I see. He, 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 so we're not we're not 
one Turin is not the worst possible Turin decision. No, 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 no. Not at all. See, no. I calibrated the scale at okay. 1.0 Turins being the, deci- the, the, the decision that Turin makes when he refuses to return uh, to Doriath when he's told by Beleg of the pardon of Thingol, and he says, I don't care, I'm not going back anyway. That's the, tu- that's the, that's the, that's the decision that I chose as the calibrating 1.0 Turin decision. So he makes okay. several decisions that are significantly worse than that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think I. You know, we're going to end up with a like... paper. Myth two thousand fourteen. We're going to end up with a paper of somebody mm-hmm. delivering the Turin scale. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> someone needs to come on, people, write it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the thing that I love about the Turin scale is that it's it's so objectively scientific. You know, that's that's yes. that's my favorite part. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Very good. Oh, and Carissa is uh, suggesting that it will only take a small provocation uh, for CSI to do a Mirkwood spin-off uh, uh, series, uh, or at least episode about the killing of the elk. Um, yeah, that seems that seems very plausible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just imagining them, them co- you know, the CSI team finding, like, these really long beard hairs, you know, at the scene. Uh, but anyway, um, Okay, so I think we're done. I think that pretty much <laughs> completes our hard-hitting analysis. Uh, of, make a uh, comment about the, how many decitrons this is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that would be perfect. Um, That's right. Yeah, very good. Okay, um, so I think we're gonna uh, next time we will we will uh, I, I probably move on to the uh, the White Council characters. There were said we would like to talk further about Radagast, Galadriel, and Saruman and the roles that they will play in film two. Uh, we've talked about you know sort of the White Council plot in general and the Dol Guldur confrontation in general, um, but we'd like to talk specifically about the involvement of those three characters and how exactly that's going to go down in this film. So that will probably be our next episode, and then we'll we will turn after that to look at some of the bad guys again. We're, we're kind of cleaning up and looking at some of these minor characters that we haven't focused a whole episode on, uh, but that we want to make sure not to overlook. So we'll probably come back and talk some more about some of the bad guys um, uh, in uh, in the episode after that. That's, of course, unless Peter Jackson finally puts us out of our misery and releases another trailer, <laughs> in which case we will talk about the other trailer. Um, That's right. So either way, we're covered. Yeah, yeah. We got something um, to talk about no matter what, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, though I do have to mention... It doesn't matter. Right, exactly. I... I, 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 I just... I have to pass along Sharon's suggestion that there should be a tour and scale app so that you can rate your own decisions like all you have to do is just like enter it's like something that you, you, know, you, you can enter any of them and it will give you the tour and scale rating uh, for your choices that would be fantastic um, okay anyway, oh, right. that sounds amazing I love that yeah doesn't it though ah, I mean no, that would be that would be that would be really that. excellent yeah so okay anyway <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, good. So, uh, so with that, I think we will sign off for those of you who are uh, who are here uh, live. Um, do join us uh, 
actually, wait, let me sign off first, and then I'll say this. So, Trish, you can edit that out. Um, yes. So that. I shall just. Well, you I, you I, can push the myth mood. Myth, don't forget myth mood. Oh, yeah, myth mood, right. Myth, myth mood, yes. Let us, uh, those are, can, yes, because we, we have details to announce now. Exactly. Um, we, have, uh, we have officially uh, signed with a venue and theater for Mythmoot this year. So we will be doing, once again, our second annual Mythguards uh, conference, um, where, which will have uh, several special features this year, in addition to uh, all of the, uh, the excellent discussion and, uh, and, uh, and, and fun company uh, that we had last year, we will also be having a, a, some special guests. We'll be having a series of papers delivered uh, by fans and students um, uh, and Tolkien scholars. So that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, we will have, as we did last year, our uh, own private screening of the uh, the Hobbit film, The Desolation of Smaug, uh, with lots of discussion and analysis to follow. Um, so do uh, plan to join us for Mythmoot. It will be that opening weekend of the American film release, so it will be December 13th through 15th uh, in, <clears throat> in Baltimore, Maryland, at the Conference Center at the Maritime Institute. That is our location. Um, so we hope that uh, many of you can join us. Just put that on your calendar, December 13th through 15th in Baltimore, so that you you can come join us for this. That was a lot of fun last year, and I'm really looking forward to this year. So, and we'll be coming out with a lot more details. So, um, yes, stay tuned. Good, good. Um, so, uh, so very okay, good. good. So, so, thanks for joining us, everybody. I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.